stockings. Isn't it cute? It is cute with your moose. Mm-hmm. I call it a Christmas moose. I suppose it's supposed to be a reindeer, but I, look at those horns. I, horns? Antlers. Antlers. <laughs> demon. He's a demon. No. No, but they're they're bucket like, like a moose is, not like a. I'm sorry, reindeer. did you say bucket like? Yeah. He's also wearing a sweater and scarf. Wait, wait. A, he's bucket like? I've never heard antlers described like, like that. Like bucket. <laughs> Well, at least he's not describing his hips. <laughs> These hips oh. don't lie. Positively bucket-like. Oh my gosh. My moose has the most bucket-like horns I've ever seen. But a friend of mine, his sister, called out. She's like, oh, it's cute. It's a little advent thing. And I'm like, I had that hadn't occurred. I mean, that obviously yeah. that's what it is. But I'm like, I need to put little goodies in each of those stockings as the moose moves through them. Well, I, I don't think so. Yeah, there's because advent calendars you, that don't do because that. Because you have the moose. Yeah, because like at our house, we have a little, it's almost like a chalkboard with all the dates. And right. you move a Santa magnet through all of them. So it doesn't happen. The and see, mine well. is a little house that has little compartment little squares. And they don't, they don't pull. It's just like just little cavities. And they have the date under them. So, of course, you're supposed to put something in there. Right. So I put... Um, Hershey Kisses. I could put tiny little booze bottles in there. And every time the moose moves, I could take a shot. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, you absolutely could. And the moose gets more and more drunk. More and more drunk. Nothing scarier than a drunk moose on Christmas. Or he just puts in his bucket-like antlers (laughs) and waits until the 25th. And goes to parties. Horns. I'd party with that moose. (laughs) Well, he's so cozy in his sweater. (laughs) Welcome to Murder Brunch. We're the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Joe. And I'm Rachel. And this is the podcast where we give you two tales of murder and mayhem and discuss where a killer falls on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Perfection. Perfection. Dr. Michael Stone. Um, Happy holidays, Dr. Stone, wherever you may be. Should we tell our listeners that we're coming close to the end of our first season? We are. Are coming close to the end of our first season. This is our penultimate episode. This is not our penultimate episode. This is the pin penultimate. We will have 12. I know, and this is the episode 11 that we're recording right now. (laughs) This is our penultimate episode. (laughs) I'm like, counting is a little harder for Clinton these days. In December. No. I've never heard that word before, so. More of a scale of um, ultimate meaning final, not ultimate meaning like big and impressive. Right, don't put that kind of pressure on us for the last episode. (laughs) We are doing 12 episodes for this season, but uh, no worries, listeners, we will be back with a season two sometime in 2021. That is our plan anyway. (laughs) I look forward to 2021. Fingers crossed. Yes, me too. I'm I'm done with 2020. I shouldn't be eating this song right now. I mean, it is a brunch. We can eat while we record, I suppose. Yeah, but it's very crunchy. I'm eating eating a s'more, by the way, if anybody's interested. I'm having pumpkin roll. And I'm having banana bread. It's, it's again, a very sweet brunch this this week. There are sausages. Yeah, sausages. Yeah. We should apologize to our listeners. This time we are actively eating and drinking, uh, at least while doing (laughs) this part. My apologies. Richard is (laughs) fine. That was a text message, you bitch. <laughs> That's going to make it into the recording, isn't it? <laughs> no. 
It was Joe losing her spore. <laughs> I've never seen marshmallow come through someone's nose. It was that moment where it's like, I don't care what's in my mouth. I must say this. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh. Fine. <laughs> fine, I did. Okay, fine. I'm a human being. Oh, my gosh. Um, no, there was something before that I was going to mention. On, I was going to comment on, though. What were we talking Oh, brunch. Brunch itself. We should try to do it up for the finale, I think. Like, a really good brunch. Like, maybe... I know. But it's our last one for the season. All right. Well... Then we all have to put effort into it. Yeah. yeah. Not just you. Although, hey, you know, I mean, we do the stories every week and... Uh... <laughs> did you not have omelets, breakfast, potatoes, sausage, cake... Hi, booze. Uh-huh. And I feel like your husband was responsible for most of that. <laughs> Actually, I guess that brunch was really all you because he was out of town. That was all me. That was all Uber Eats. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Put and farted. <laughs> I did make this banana bread, though. Yes. From Joe's Bananas. Yep. No, I have bananas in my backyard, and they they constantly grow. You have a menagerie of of that one, right? That's animals, isn't it? Orchard, an and orchard, but it's all different types of. Yeah. You have a lot of fruit bearing plants in your yard. A myriad. Sure, I don't know why we're throwing around five dollar words. <laughs> you started yes. with that penultimate, or you whatever. got a lot of trees. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a lot of fruit trees, but the banana trees are the ones that like they produce constantly throughout the year, and so. At any given moment, I have got like 20 bananas that I'm like, I don't know. I don't even like bananas. You have to give them to the monkeys. I wonder if you could make like preserves or jam. Ew, banana preserve? Banana jam? That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) You're telling me you wouldn't spread some banana jam on peanut butter. I would not. Slices of bananas only. You can't. Well, the thing about jam is you need to have juice and bananas don't make juice. But you could definitely do something. I think you could of... juice a banana. <laughs> <laughs> squish, 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 squish. <laughs> I have juiced many a banana. <laughs> oh, whoa. Hey, Sing. How about we make wine out of bananas? We could put them all in a crock. Banana wine. And oh. we take off our shoes and just stomp around <laughs> in them. <laughs> no, banana wine actually sounds familiar. I feel like there is Fruit a banana wine. wine. What Fruit is there wine. not to like? Herbs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but banana jam sounds absolutely horrific. Actually, banana jam sounds like a good time. You having a banana jam over there? That is a good time. <laughs> oh it should my be, gosh. That should be the name of an ice cream parlor. Oh, I'd like that. Banana, banana jams. Jam. Hey, why don't we go to bana- banana jams? Yeah, million dollar idea. We call it. Copyright. Banana jam. But my point being, usually when you harvest your own vegetables or fruits. Yes. Since you get so many at once, you're not going to eat them before they go bad. So you are preserving them in some way. And, and that's what Joe does with her banana jam. <laughs> Let's do this episode. Let's do this episode. What do we What do we have today for drinks, Joe? For drinks, we have what is called a Dutch Courage. And that is a mix of gin, a thing that I can't pronounce that's kind of like eggnog, and um, some, some apple juice and some lemon juice. Some lemon juice, yeah. You can't pronounce it because it's a, it's a Dutch drink, or it's like uh, it's called like advocat, but it's basically eggnog. 
Yeah. Okay. So what did we drink? It was eggnog, right? We, yeah, we used have to eggnog. use eggnog oh, okay. because we live in the States and we don't get anything That's what I thought. exotic okay. like that. But what the, the, I don't know, the alcoholic specialist at the alcohol store told me when he looked it up, it was like, it's like eggnog except made slightly differently. Mm, alcoholic specialist. It was the guy at the ABC behind the counter. <laughs> yeah, really. That's what it was. Nice. Looking up at his phone, probably Googling some shit. Mm-hmm. But yes, the Dutch courage. It was delicious. It was good. It was weird. It, it's a. Yeah. It's like a drinking a creamy apple. Right, and the the only problem was like, if you don't drink it right away, it does curdle. Yeah, at separates. Yeah, it will curdle. I don't drink a lot of eggnog, so. Eggnog and brandy, so good. Very. Take your word for it. Mm. You can also then add that to a coffee. You so can good. add everything to a coffee, including banana jam. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> All right. All but right. We did Dutch Courage because. Because we're going to listen to the story of Hani Shaft, Truist Overstegen, and Freddie Overstegen. Okay. All right. Just Hannah and Freddie. They're, well, no, Truist. T R U U S. Oh, wait. Truist. Say, say the names one more time Hannah Shaft, Truist Overstegen, and Freddie Overstegen. Got it. Okay, so Truist. Which is, I, I like to say her name, and I looked it up, and that's how you pronounce it. Truist and Freddie were sisters, born in 1920s, in the village of Sch- Schoten, Netherlands. Their very early life was spent living on a barge with their parents, it, it, but eventually their parents divorced, so the two sisters moved into a small apartment to be raised by their communist mother. Aw, dad got the barge? I guess so. <laughs> it may have been one of those things where the mom's like, you know what, fuck this Barge life. I'm out and (laughs) I'm taking my kids with me. Mm. There, they were taught a very stark code of right and wrong and the importance of sacrificing for others less fortunate. So even though Truist and Freddie lived in relative poverty, they slept on the same bed, which was in fact handmade by their mother and stuffed with straw. They still used their free time to make dolls and toys for the child victims of the Spanish Civil War. Sweethearts. Yeah. Is that a hint at our timeline here? 20s. So. They were born in the 1920s. Okay. So, uh, truthfully, what we're talking about at this moment is like the 30s. Their mother also started taking in and hiding refugees fleeing from Germany, mostly the Jewish and homosexual. So, good woman. Yeah. You know? She saw she saw what was coming. Yeah. You know? And um, so, kudos to her. In May of 1940, the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, but not being one to be pushed around or oppressed, the girl's mother organized her daughters to start handing out pamphlets opposing the occupation and plastering warnings over propaganda posters that called for Dutch workers to aid the Nazi party. Whoa. So, like, she started the Dutch resistance? I I don't think she started it. She was a piece of but it, But she yeah. was, yeah, she... I mean, it was what a lone woman saying this. This isn't right, and I'm not going to stand and watch it happen. Wow! So ballsy. She was ballsy. I mean, and from what I heard is a lot of times the Nazis would go in and say, "Hey, come work for us and do these things." Oh, well, we're not going to make you do it, but if you don't, we're going to kill your family. Yeah. You know? So a lot of these people were going to go and work for the Nazis anyway, just to save themselves, which is understandable. 
An underground resistance group took notice of the subversive attitudes of the girls and formally asked their mother if they could join in their fight. She gave her permission, but with one rule. Always be human. I love this woman. Mm -hmm. I love their mom. And Truis, at 16 years old, and Freddie, at 14 years old, became the youngest and only females of the Harlem Council of Resistance. It's H-A-A-R-L-E-M. There were only seven members in total. Were they all like teenagers? No, no, no. The rest of them were adult men. Oh, wow. Yeah. But then they noticed that these two young girls are out there doing the work. And they're like, hey, come join us. Well, and I'm sure young girls would probably be basically unnoticeable, so they could use them for spy work, they do, you know, all kinds of exactly. stuff. Exactly. So. Yeah. I gotta give, like, mad props to the mom, though. Like, just the, the idea of, like, covering up propaganda posters and right. organizing this, like... I mean, well, and also, like, I, I can kind of see where she's coming from, where she's got to put in that fight, but to say, yeah, I'm gonna let my daughters do this, too, is harrowing. But it's... It was her life, her code... It was always this way. She taught them from day one, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You always do what's right. Mm. You always give to others. She was a communist, Mm -hmm. so she was always like, it's better to benefit the many than just yourself. And you always fight Nazis. Well, I mean, that's not just communists. (laughs) No, I know. All right. The leader, Franz van der Ville, began teaching the girls the basics of espionage and sabotage. And though there were only seven members, the resistance was able to cut off important travel routes by rigging railways and bridges with dynamite. The girls also acted as couriers for weapons, important documents such as a new identity papers for fleeing slash hiding refugees, as well as escorting these refugees from safe area to safe area, especially the children. Yeah, because nobody's going to flag them. Nobody's going to be like, oh, this teenage girl is a spy. They're going to be like, it's just another girl walking down the street. So right. They and if they, if they stop them, it's an easy lie. Yeah. We're sisters. This is my, or this is my little brother and yeah. we're going home. They also believed that their main mission throughout was to save the children. However, sometimes they failed and the children they protected were killed, which caused a grief that followed them for the rest of their lives. It was that, you know, those instances that haunted them. One of their first missions also included arson. They were able to burn down a Nazi warehouse. Dang. Yeah, without being detected. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. So they're they're 14 and 16. They make up practically half of this resistance. I mean, they are two of the seven, so about a third of this entire resistance. And are sticking it to the Nazis. <laughs> for real. Good for you girls. Yeah. <laughs> the two sisters were so successful in these plots because they both looked younger than their actual ages. And Nazi soldiers tended to pay little attention to neighborhood girls just riding their bikes around. Little did they know that in their bike baskets they had sticks of dynamite and guns. Whoa. This is amazing. It's a different world, you know what I mean? It's wild. Yeah. But not that long ago. No. Eventually, their duties took a shift, and they started playing the role of bait. Usually, Freddie would act as lookout as Truis entered a restaurant or bar and strike up a conversation with a Nazi soldier, Dutch collaborator, or even one time a high-ranking SS officer. Did they know these guys because of research, or were they, like, in uniform, and that's how they flagged them down? I think it was such—it's such a small world. Like the village they live in. 
And the Nazis being an occupational force, they weren't hiding. And I'm sure that everybody knew who was helping them and who was, and, right. you know, who the, the head players were. So um, she would strike up a conversation with them. And after flirting for a while, Truis would suggest they take a walk in the woods, which these perps would agree to do. <laughs> but once there, another member of the resistance would be waiting to execute them. It was not soon after Freddy and Truist became assassins themselves. In fact, Freddy described it as a necessary evil. Oh my, oh my gosh. Are the killers were putting on the scale the girls? <laughs> okay. I'm scared. They would either ambush a lone, a lone soldier or conspirator, shoot him, and make a quick getaway on their bikes. Or, <laughs> that's just crazy to me. Or, they would follow them home and surprise them there. They at times used a drive-by method where Truist pedaled and Freddie riding on the back of her bike would be shooting. What? The sisters later described these as liquidations <laughs> and spoke about the toll it took on them. The act of assassination gave them nightmares and Freddie said that sometimes she would shoot a man and then have an immediate and strange compulsion to help him. Mm. This is a quote from Truis. We did not feel it suited us. It never suits anybody unless they are real criminals. Apparently, there was only one mission the two sisters declined to take part in, and that was a plot to kidnap the children of senior Nazi officer Arthur Suis Inquat and use them as a leverage to free imprisoned Dutch radicals. For fear of harm coming to the children, Freddie and Truis refused. Sounds like some kind of weird, like, Steven Spielberg film. Kids on their bikes. Oh, yeah. Killing a weird Nazis. mix of Schindler's List and E.T. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Indiana Jones had Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And he was killing them and shooting them, so. Yeah. In 1943, the two girls gained a new member of their gang. 22-year-old Joanna Hani. Johanna. I guess it would be Johanna. Probably. Johanna Hani Schaff. She had been a law student, but dropped out of school after refusing to sign a loyalty pledge to Germany and was already notorious in her own right. Where are all these badass women coming from who are like, oh, Nazis? Fuck you. You know? And then, like, just like, I'm out. Fuck yeah. you. you know? No, they're there. Um, so when Johanna mm -hmm. joins them, are they now all in their, like, 20s? No. This uh, the... Um, uh, Trudis and Freddie are still young. Okay. They're still teenagers. Okay. Because it was 1943. Trudis would be it would be 19 when they met Hannah and um, Freddie. Freddie would be uh, 17. 17. After she, you know, gave Hitler the bird and she <laughs> left college. For the next two years, the trio became great friends and worked as a well-oiled Nazi killing sabotage machine. However, Hani had uh, bright red hair, and soon rumors started to circulate among the soldiers to watch out for the girl with the red hair. Rachel, you know how this goes. I do. I do. Yeah. You always... with the red hair. I love a redhead. <laughs> That's because you're a Nazi. <laughs> no. That's because you're just... Love redheads. Love redheads. Who doesn't love redheads? Everyone loves a redhead. In April 1945, Hani failed to return from a mission. She was found out and detained at a checkpoint. And on mm. April 17th, 
Just 18 days before the liberation of the Netherlands, mm. Johanna Hani Shaft was executed. Oh, man. According to lore, the executioner's first attempt only wounded her. So she looked at him and said her last words. I'm a better shot. Oh, my God. That's so good. <laughs> Clinton literally gasped. I don't know if that was picked up on the recording. <laughs> His favorite uh, redhead now of all time. That's right. I love her a little bit. I bet you do. She was only 24 years old. Oh, a baby. Mm-hmm. After the war, Truist and Freddie tried to heal from the horrors and trauma they had experienced. Freddie threw herself into marriage and motherhood. However, she was never truly able to move past the war. A quote from her son, Remy Decker. She shot a few people, and these were the real, real bad guys. But she hated it, and she hated herself for doing it. Mm. Truist used her artwork as therapy and became a successful sculptor. She also married another resistance fighter and had children. One of her daughters is named Hani. <laughs> Unfortunately, after the war, the sisters and Hani became painted in negative light due to the fact that they identified as communists. It took a long time for their heroism to be acknowledged. In 1981, a movie was made about Hani Shaft, which transformed her and the sisters into national heroes. A Dutch movie? Like, would yes. we have seen? We can't see it no, over it's, here. No, okay. it's a Dutch movie, yeah. Because I want to see it. Who doesn't, right? I'm going to have to find it. In 1996, they created the Hani Shaft Foundation. She is now included in the history textbooks, and her life is taught in schools. In 2014, the Dutch government awarded them all the mobilization war cross in which the then prime minister mark root called an act of historical justice both sisters lived to be 92 incredible wow truest died in 2016 and freddie in 2018 before she died freddie collaborated with documentary filmmakers to create two sisters in the resistance uh, which is the, the title of the movie is Two Sisters in Resistance. I don't know why I felt like I had to explain yeah, that. Yeah, I think but we put that together. I think we put that together. <laughs> You're all smart. Context clues. And took them back to the woods and the spot she believed the slain SS officer had been buried. One of the filmmakers said this. On the way there in the car, we could see that she was very vulnerable because she started singing. It was a song that the members of the resistance group always sang when they were afraid. Truist, under her married name, Manger, wrote a memoir about her time in the war entitled Not Then, Not Now, Not Ever. Damn, that's good. Right? And that is the end I have to look of them my up. story. I have to look them up, especially my, my redhead. I cannot imagine more badass woman, women no. in history. And it starts with their mom. Their mom, who was, the, you know... Raised them right. Yeah. And it, I find it incredible that Hani Shaft is now this national hero and her life is celebrated and taught to children. And it's nice that this wasn't post... Like, this was while she was alive. Like, they got no, to... No, 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 no. She was the one who was assassinated. Or, oh, yeah, sorry. But uh, the sisters... Yes. Oh, um, yes. They got least, to see it happen. Yes. yes. Here's your girl. Oh, hey there. <laughs> I wish th- I wish we had a, a pictures in color. I mean, obviously the it's time the period 40s, being what yeah. it is, yeah. But then here's the with the sisters. Badass. I, incredible. Badass girls. Tough 
AF ladies. However, they were murderers. They were murderers. And now let us transition into ranking them on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil, which for those of us who are just joining us on our 11th episode... Um, we get from the book Anatomy of Evil by Dr. Michael Stone. Available on Amazon.com. It has 22 levels, the first being... Justifiable Homicide, Category 1. And goes all the way to 22, which is... Psychopathic Torture Murders with Torture as their Primary Motive. The motive need not always be sexual. So, for our sisters and Hani, I have two levels in mind. We could go level 1 justifiable homicide because we have stated on this podcast in a different episode that every nazi death is justified (laughs) yeah but also i have level four and those are people who killed in self-defense but they started the violence or they were um in some way inviting it it or something like that so those are my suggestions okay can I hear the actual phrasing for level, what did you say, level two? Level four. Level four. Can you read that one? Killing in self-defense, but extremely provocative towards the victim. I mean, that's the one I would probably go for. Only because level one, I feel, is justful homicide in the moment. Something has happened, you are basically doing self-defense. But level four, they seduced those men, brought them out to the woods, or did drive-bys at their houses. <laughs> you know, things like that. I would agree. I think it, I there would have been no confrontation if they had not provoked it. Right. So a level four seems appropriate. And other than being communist, would they have been on the Nazis' radar? Like they weren't Jewish, right? They weren't. They weren't Jewish, but they were communists. Were yeah, out, communists, yeah. but also they were. I mean, from the get go, they were the people who were hiding. Right. Um, others. So if they were ever found out. With that, they would, of course, been killed or, or sent. But, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, so justifiable homicide, you know these people are killing your community. Mm-hmm. I just feel like justifiable homicide really is, like, spur of the moment. Like, you're in a fight and you're defending yourself. Whereas they actually planned and schemed and you would have to argue it's premeditated murder. You know what I mean? Maybe. Probably, and at least worth pointing out, the scale is broken into kind of different sections. Category one, by itself, justifiable homicide, is all by itself killing in self-defense or justified homicide. Then categories two through six are impulsive murders in persons without psychopathic features. So kind of all of these levels that we're probably going to talk about won't go beyond that. What were, what were the two levels between one and four? Two is jealous lovers, egocentric, no. immature people. Three is willing companions of killers. No, okay. But four is killing in self-defense, but you are the one that provoked it. And five is traumatized, desperate persons who kill others yet have remorse. So you almost hit that. Because Maybe they, not at the start. Right, but they were but, definitely affected by what was going on. Yeah, but they didn't kill because of their desperation. They killed as an organized unit. Yeah. So No, I think you're kind of spot on with category four only because this goes beyond like, I am being attacked and defending myself. This is now we are hunting. Yes. Still in your own defense. Still in defense. Do you but. think their mom, who obviously gave them their sense of morality, do you think she 
kind of knew what they were walking into when she said they could join the resistance? Did she know that she was offering her daughters off up to become trained murderers? Or did she... Would their mom have been okay with them going this route? I think... I mean, her whole thing was always be human, right? So they never, ki- they never killed in cold blood. Mm-hmm. They never killed without provocation in that they refused to go after that man's children because a man's child should not be held responsible for his sins. Right. right. And so I don't think that she would have any kind of, I, I don't think she would feel differently about them or look down on it or anything like that. She probably knew at that point what was going to be needed. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear her end, like what happened with yeah. her. I'm, I'm, I wonder why they didn't bring her into the resistance as well. Well, but she, she sounded very vocal about her subversiveness. You know what I mean? So she might have already been, like the Nazis might have already been aware All of right. her. All right. So before oh. we tangent off on the mother. Yeah. yeah, sorry. The sisters then were saying category four. I say four. I say four. I think I agree. All right. So, I'm gonna... Category four, killing in self-defense, but provoking or being extremely provocative toward the victim. Put them on the board, Clinton. They are on the board or as close to on the board as I can reach from where I'm sitting. Um, and that level one is still elusive. Still elusive. We'll get there, guys. We'll get Season there. two. This is all category ones. Um, but yeah, I think the mom, she would also, it seemed like she had her own deal going on. She had already been taking people in and hiding them. And it didn't really arise in the story when the mother died, did it? No, I didn't really find any information about her. After they became part of the resistance, obviously they still lived with her. They still had that life as as children. Right. But then on the, their sidekick was sabotaging and killing Nazis. So, Right. Um, they're incredible. Like, I, I don't even know what to say about them. Like, I'm so impressed with what they, I, you know, you put yourselves in those situations. Like, if I lived in World War II, how would I respond to things? Exactly. And it's one, what's the mindset? Like, in that, that whole argument of justified homicide, if you're in a situation where it's like, this is the only choice I have, or we're all going to be dead. Mm Mm-hmm what else can you do and if someone's like hey come here i can i can help you with your problem and train you how to fix your problem that's a really weird way of putting it but uh, but i mean seriously right it's difficult we've never been invaded right that's that's really what you're talking about is how would you respond to that right scenario curl into the fetal position i know right and wait for death well, and there's the added element of having children now. Like, what would I do to protect my children? You know, things like that. Yeah. Would I, would I let that. my son go off and be a freedom fighter? Probably not at his age. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they, didn't, they didn't have that either. So it may also have been one of those things when you're a teenager, you think you're invincible. Yeah. And, or you don't have any, at that point, because so much has been taken away, they don't have anything to lose. Yeah. That is a good point. Well, I, I think they definitely held up their mom's... Um, uh, be human. Be human. I mean, oh, the, absolutely. The, what they felt afterwards and everything is oh know, yeah, it, heartbreaking. It did torture them the rest of their lives. Uh, it, it was trauma that probably was never actually identified or treated by anybody. Yeah. you know that could help them. 
they just had to figure out themselves. And also, then again, what a badass person to have that happen to you and carrying that around and still be able to function in your life. There's so many people who have had less and fallen apart. Yeah. Not that... I mean, we're strong advocates of someone who looks for help and gets it and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. You know, don't hold a burden if you, if you don't have to. No, especially now when there's so many different ways that you can find that help. Anonymously or however you want. So. Right. But these ladies just um, carried on. Mm-hmm. Wowzers. Good one. Yep. I think this is the first time we've had, oh, well, I guess the, the Brewster sisters, but where we had killers that were like, you know what? They're good people. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're curious. And sisters again. And sisters again. Well, and honey. Look out uh, for sisters, guys. Look out for sisters. <laughs> uh, if you're curious on the scale, as far as our episodes go, they're close to Riley Gall, who was a four. No, who was a... He was a two. He was a two. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. On to story B. Okay. So for story B... Ba-pots. I need a, I need a mid-snack. <laughs> All right. I'll pull a it up. A mid-snack break. All right. Shall we? Let's. Okay. I'm full of banana bread. <laughs> Are you about to banana jam? <laughs> I am banana jamming out right now. Um, okay, so our next story, we're going to go forward in time a little bit to February 22nd, 1985. What? I know, I thought you'd enjoy that. Love this. Um, Clinton's birthday! And he would have been about, what, five years old? This would have been your fifth birthday. Yes. I hate to give away some of your, your personal deeds. Actually, yeah, we'll have to decide if that stays in or not. I guess, yeah, because I get to decide. <laughs> February 22nd, 1985. And as a reminder to our listeners, our second story is typically an unsolved murder or case. So we will not be putting it on the scale. Okay. It's February 22nd, 1985 in Cabot, Pennsylvania. Eight-year-old Cherry Mahan was getting off the bus to walk home. Her entire walk home was 150 yards. So super short. She had nowhere to go. Like she literally goes from her bus stop to her house. A football field and a half. Right. Her mother, Janice, always met her to walk home, but today she happened to have the day off. So she and her husband, Cherry's stepfather, Leroy, were waiting at home for Cherry. After five to ten minutes, Janice sent Leroy to go check on Cherry because she should have been home by now. She was afraid that she had, like, tripped and fell or, you know, something like that. Or dawdled. She's eight. Leroy went to go look for her, but she was gone. The kids on the bus saw her get off, obviously. They were riding the bus together. And start walking. They also reported seeing a green or blue 1976 Dodge van with a ski mural on the side, which is very specific. Despite the idea that this was the kidnapper, many vans in the area were searched for forensics or a person and nothing was found. So they checked a bunch of vans, not just ones with ski murals, but like all the vans in the area, they checked them. I don't actually know how many had ski murals out of the top of my head. Right, because I mean, like, is that a popular theme for a van? The I articles mean, like, I read didn't make it sound like that was weird. So I guess where does um, where is this happening? Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, so okay. it's far north. You know, I mean, yeah, but is Pennsylvania really a ski place, um, but. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had said it was a mural like a wizard, then right. I would understand. That's, that's what I'm thinking is, is wizards and dragons on the side of a van. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, skiing. I mean, wizards and dragons skiing, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know all the details. I would love to see a dragon ski. All right. So, nobody was ever found for this kidnapping. Cherry's body was never found. She has been missing this whole time. Janice, her mother, was convinced Cherry's biological father was involved. 
Janice was raped, which was resulted in Cherry. Mm. And she, and I, for some reason, I don't have the age here, but I think she was fairly young, like 16. She was like young when it happened. And while she doesn't think the father is the kidnapper, she believes it was people he knew. She said authorities never believed her rape allegation and therefore never followed up to see if he was involved. So this could be a case of police not listening to the mom. So they stopped every Tom, Dick, and Harry with a van, but Didn't this, think the this dude who they have a specific na- name to, they wouldn't go and ask him. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. Through the years, the police still get tips, even to this day. Sightings of women who look like her, and you can see online if you look up her name, they've done age progressions to see what she looks like, stuff like that. So sightings of women who look like her. A woman came forward saying she was Cherry. She said that she had been kidnapped and she was pretty sure she was Janice's daughter. But then when they did fingerprints, it confirmed she was not. And even in that case, like she might've had something mentally wrong with her and stuff like that. Or maybe she was a kidnapped victim and she just got the wrong mom. I'm not sure. Oh, can you imagine how horrible that would be? I know. For, bo- for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah, for real. If you knew that you were kidnapped and you're like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then on the other end, they're like, oh my God, you know, Cherry's finally come back and stuff. And then all of a sudden, nope. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. And if she was kidnapped, like, she, did she could just go to the next family that she might of another little girl about that age in the 80s? You know, I mean. I mean, what else can you do? Right. I mean, as someone who, I, I would love to talk to someone who, like, figures out they're kidnapped or something like that. And, like, what, like, how they found out and what you do about it. How old was Cherry when eight. the event occurred? Eight. So I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put my mind back to when I was eight years old. About third grade. What an uprooting like that would mean. Because this has to be at the point, it's like, well, one, it has to not feel like a kidnapping, I assume. Assuming that this is a kidnapping and not a killing. Right. I mean, we don't know. That is true. And they never found a body. So she could have been kidnapped and then raised. But eight years old is pretty old to... Yeah, she would have memories. She would remember her name. You have firmly identified with, first of all, who you are. Yeah. And if they kept her, like, I mean, there would have to be a name change. But it has been done. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of instances where manipulation and mind control... Changes people completely. Yeah. Even older than that. Well older than that. So while they still haven't found any suspects, they did receive a graphic letter that detailed Cherry's death and burial. Ooh. They followed up on it, but they found nothing. They even used cadaver dogs on where they said that the body was buried and stuff like that, and they found nothing. So she's never been found. The family has never given up hope. Her mother has this quote in an article I read where she said, God doesn't always give us a timeline. Maybe that's all Cherry was supposed to be here, those eight short years of her life. But she gave us so much. That's sweet. Yeah. So that is relatively short, but that is the story of Cherry Mahan. Um, If she's out there, I hope she gets home. But I don't know. It's been a long time. It seems rather doubtful. Yeah. I know that story's a bit of a downer here at the end. I I mean, involving a kid and everything like that. The reason I pulled it was just because it was so... Everything I read was like, it's a pretty small town. The kids saw her get off. She had such a short walk. She was like right there at her house. You know, like they could almost see her bus stop from their house. And she just didn't make it home. And that's just... That's just so hard to hear. Also, being someone who... That was me in middle school. Yeah. You know, the bus stop wasn't very far away from my house but it was the house was down a dead end and anything could happen between 
getting off the bus and getting into my house. No, no. And the guilt involved, I mean, Janice walked her home every day except this one day. You know, so, I mean, did that mean that the person who took her was stalking her and saw that there was an opportunity? Or was it a, a chance this guy was just driving around and saw a little girl and grabbed her? You know, I mean, who knows? Well, I mean, we probably will never know. No. It's just crazy. I, I keep hoping this is one that's like, um, like J.C. Duggard. You know, like she'll show up one day. I mean, yeah. she'd be in her, her 40s by now, but... Or even like a DNA match or whatever would would yeah. randomly show up. Interesting that at eight they had fingerprints. Yeah. Okay. So it was the eighties, right? So they that was the beginning of the like kid kit. Um, what do you call them? Like were, yeah, they, they were starting to get more. Yeah, the police. The seventies were when kids were literally going missing right. all the time. And then the police had that big drive in the eighties to make a video of your kid, get mm-hmm. their fingerprints. We actually did. I remember doing that. Yeah, yeah. We had a little video where uh, Joe talked about like her her favorite movies and stuff like that, and so you could see them moving and, and talking. And Janice called the police immediately, right. so they could have gotten it off her breakfast dishes that morning. They could have done, you know, oh, uh, you know what I mean. Produce so, the fingerprints, right? Right. But yeah, they kept those on file. And her parents have been, her mother and stepfather have been diligent. Like Janice calls the police, like even to this day, calls the police like every month or so to find out if there's any details or anything. She's done tons of interviews. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I learned a really weird statistic this week and it was that over 4,000 people a year die in the United States without being identified. Interesting. Yeah. And that's over 4,000 people who... They don't know where they came from. They don't know their name. I actually that... would have expected that number to be higher. Really? Yeah. I mean, I could see, like, homeless. Like, that would be... Right. I mean, there's like... a lot of us. And 4,000 is a relatively small number. I know, but, like, everybody's got somebody. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not, yeah. And, I mean, that's that's after people die anonymously and then they have tracked them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they found, you know, somebody or some, you know, organization or, or someone who can identify them. But there are 4,000 people a year that are just nameless. And they can't, you know, what are they going to do with them? Ugh, that makes me sad. So, again, apologies for ending on a downer. I mean, this is called murder I, brunch. I think, yeah, we're... we're, we're... <laughs> I know, but that story with, of Truist and, and Freddie and, ha- and Hani was just so Really so raised you up. I know. Well, maybe Cherry is, in fact, alive and just unaware of the circumstance. And Yeah, maybe it was one of those cases, and this is not justified, but maybe it was one of those cases it was someone who really wanted to have a child and loved her and took care of her. And I, Again, I wish she was with Janice. I don't want her with this person. Oh, yeah, definitely. But there was a case like that recently, within the past few years, where a woman, her baby was stolen from a hospital and when she turned 18, the kidnapped, the kidnapper told her this is what really happened. And then they, they reunited her with her mother. It I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. You don't remember that? It's, no. it's, that one is also heartbreaking because that girl saw this woman as her mother and not her. She had no feelings for her biological mother. Right. And so like they tried to have a relationship and the last I heard it was not going well. Right. Well, that's something that you can't force. Right. Can you imagine? You've waited 18 years to find your baby, and you finally do, and... But then there's the other case of the, in, I think, it, I want to say it was Japan, where the the family lost their little baby son, and 30 years later, they found him. 
and he was this 30 something year old man and like when they reunited it was hugs and and i don't know what kind of situation he was in though right yeah i don't know it's crazy stuff well, Clinton's doodling Triforces, so I guess we've come to the end of our episode. <laughs> we've lost him. We've lost him, guys. He has the attention span of a toddler. Aww. Um, do you want to do our sources? Yes, please. So the sources for um, my story come from theguardian.com article, Her War Never Stopped, The Dutch Teenager Who Resisted the Nazis by Naomi O'Leary. I got information from mentalfloss.com, the teenage girl gang that seduced and killed Nazis by Jake Rosen, the BBC Real, Three Girls in Resistance, and history.com, this teenager killed Nazis with her sister during World War II by Becky Little. <laughs> that is quite a title right there. I know. I love all the titles of all these articles that were made about them. And my sources were CBS Pittsburgh, TribLive.com, and The Charlie Project. So here we are. At the, the end. At the end. Was oh, this our outro? Yes. We're in the outro. Of our, <laughs> our murder brunch episode. Penultimate episode. Penultimate. Which is obviously, uh, you can cut this out, but it's got to be called Banana Jam. <laughs> obviously. This shit is Banana Jam. Ugh, you're Banana Jam. B-A-N-A-N-J. Yeah. <laughs> that's good just call me Gwen Stefani yeah um, don't call me that no I won't be doing that so join us next time for our finale season one finale episode 12 until then tell us what you think tell us how much you're gonna miss us or oh. not I don't know we didn't do our socials at the beginning of this episode we didn't so we'll do them now okay let's do it and remember to rate Review, subscribe at any of our social media. We have a website. Murderbrunchpodcast.com. We have an Instagram. Murderbrunch. We have a Twitter. At Murderbrunch. We have a Facebook. Murderbrunch Podcast. And you can old-fashioned email us. Old-fashioned, right there with Courier Pigeon. uh, At Murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. Who emails anymore? (laughs) <laughs> what? How do you communicate with people? I prefer to send some teenage girls on bikes. <laughs> Whoa, watch out if you get a message from Joe. Hey, like I said, don't mess with sisters. Yeah, it's true. Join us next time for more mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Penultimate. <laughs> <laughs>